Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the App EVs podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rogers, and rather than going through the Aptera news for the period between May 15th and May 20th, 2022, this week's episode will be a special guest feature with battery expert Skylar Madison. Hello everyone, I hope that you all had a great week. Following last week's episode that focused on Aptera's battery pack reveal, I wanted to dive in a bit deeper into the topic. With that goal in mind, I've invited my friend and colleague Skylar Madison to talk about Aptera's proposed battery technology and the hurdles that the company may face. This episode is actually going to be just part one of the conversation that I had with Skylar, which will focus mostly on battery technology and development for the company. I'm going to post part two of the conversation probably later in the week. And in that section of the conversation, he and I talk about his short-lived experience as a, a Rivian reservation holder and his thoughts about you know owning EVs and for, for future EV owners, future Aptera owners. Uh, one quick housekeeping note. In the last episode, I attempted to validate the efficiency claims regarding regarding Aptera's battery pack with some numbers that I found online for the Tesla Model 3 battery pack. And not only was my math horribly wrong, a listener wrote in to point out that since Tesla has switched to a lithium iron phosphate battery, that the comparison to um, to the Tesla batteries and the Aptera batteries, it's not really an apples to apples comparison. So it's, it's probably, you know, that's probably not what they're they're speaking about when they're making that comparison, but it's also it's not a good one to, to focus on. In any case, shout out to Eric in, Sh- in St. Louis for that correction. With that out of the way, I hope that you all enjoy this conversation. All right, and welcome everyone. This is a special episode of the Apt EVs podcast where we have EV and battery expert Skylar Madison joining us to to share his his thoughts about Aptera as well as his wealth of knowledge of expertise both as an EV owner and a as someone who has a, a PhD in batteries. I don't know if it's just batteries or energy storage. Am I saying that correctly? I guess what is the the full the title description? Yeah, I was a PhD in sustainable energy systems. And my focus was on energy storage more generally, not just batteries, but I did have a heavy focus on lithium-ion batteries. Well, see, there there, there you go. That's why that's why we brought Skylar on to the podcast, because he's going to be able to, to speak to things that, that I've been talking about on this podcast as an, an actual amateur. Skylar is indeed an, <laughs> an, an expert. Um, we, are, we are colleagues. That's how I've gotten to, to know him and learn um, a wide range of things about um, impacting energy storage and sustainability. And so with that out of the way, I just wanted to, to kick things off. You, you kind of jumped into this and tell the, the listeners, what's your background and interest in both electric vehicles and battery storage? Sure. So it goes all the way back to 10th grade government class. I had to write a report on an innovative technology and I chose back in 2006 the Toyota Prius that was coming out as a hybrid drivetrain and in the future probably a fuel cell. And I made some very bold predictions that by 2012 there would be about 5 million 
Toyota Prius fuel cell vehicles on the road, minimum. And that would be kind of the solution to sustainable transportation. Um, that didn't really, you know, come to be. Um, the, the like 15 year old version of myself was not spot on with all those predictions. Um, but I didn't stop tracking it. You know, that type of technology was always super interesting to me. Um, so I, I really kept track of that, really researched a lot of it during my undergraduate, um, had a background in physics and math, um, and then went on to do a PhD at RIT in sustainable energy systems with a focus on electric vehicles, their batteries, you know, policies to support them and the technology itself. Um, so I've always, you know, always been interested in this type of stuff. As soon as I was able to afford something, um, I got into an electric vehicle. <laughs> I've owned both a, a Kia Soul EV and a Tesla Model S, uh, used, um, but it was very, very exciting, very fun. Um, but, you know, even in my current job, I try to uh, make sure I stay up to speed on all things EV. That's that's in- incredible. I, I think, I don't think I, I'm trying to think of when I was even became aware of fuel cell vehicles and electric vehicles. I, I think it was, I mean, I really only started following electric vehicles, I guess this is, this is now around seven years ago. It, it was in a run up to the reveal of the Tesla Model S, and then I was loosely aware of, excuse me, the Model 3. I was loosely aware of the Model S. You know, there's, it was this new vehicle that I'd heard about that had, uh, a friend of mine described it, it has an iPad for a center console screen instead of a, a normal <laughs> right. normal console. But, you know, back when I was in, in you know, in, in high school or before undergrad, I had no idea. I think maybe I, I'd heard the promise. I think this is amusing. I think I had heard about hydrogen vehicles and it's amusing that the the status of hydrogen vehicles when I was in junior high is pretty much what it is in terms of the market you know, in 2022. Approximately the same. Exactly one model available in America and exactly zero charging stations in New York State. Yeah, it's the same exact situation as it was in like the mid-2000s when I, when I first discovered this technology. You know, the, the amusing thing is I think it, it is perhaps the most aptly named vehicle ever. The Toyota Mirai, I think, is the only hydrogen vehicle because I'm pretty sure Mirai means future in Japanese because it's it's not the present. It's it's a long, <laughs> long ways future. off. It, it, it's... So this is the vehicle that you will never be able to get. I guess enough enough ragging on hydrogen vehicles, but yeah, you you you've definitely delved into this um, from the I guess into yeah you know, through your work and your PhD and, and undergrad study, you've delved into this a, a lot more than deeply than I have. Um, but moving on from that that background and, and cruising around in your your Kia Soul EV, a vehicle that I always I always I always liked. Um, I'm curious, what was your familiarity with Aptera before you know we spoke about this podcast? Yeah, the the uh, the only background I really had was you know um, following the EV world in general and hearing about kind of the reveal of the first um, prototype version and hearing the specs and um, seeing it drive down the road as this kind of like very futuristic you know three-wheeled orb of the future and being like wow that's cool um (laughs) i'm definitely gonna try to keep track of that but you know my first instinct uh, when i saw that maybe a a couple years ago was uh let's see how long that takes to (laughs) to bring to production because of all the difficulties at that time we were reading about about producing you know mass amounts of model threes and model y's and you name you know rivian trying to scale up and buy manufacturing and all that type of stuff um, and, and, and facing something that's not even in 
kind of the more mainstream structural four wheel industry trying to even create something on similar similar um you know powertrains on a completely different chassis completely different vehicle now you're reinventing multiple components that's that's a whole new challenge so i was really interested to see how they overcame that so i've kind of over time you know been able to um, keep up to speed on some of their general information, but not necessarily as deeply as I followed, you know, the the development of the Model 3, say, back in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, Aptera is a unique vehicle startup, especially electric vehicle startup, in that other electric vehicle startups, you get this prototype, you get this information, there's this big reveal, you start learning more, people get excited, there's usually a process of pre-orders, there's all this steps that goes into the launch where you're having these questions and one of the most unique things to me about Aptera when I first found out about them I guess it's uh, just a little over a year ago at this point was that you know you can go on YouTube and you can see the you know they had a guest appearance on Jay Leno's Garage about I think a little over 10 years ago and it's it's just interesting that you know, the company, this is what you're seeing now is, is the phoenix risen from the ashes. You know, all of the, the, basically the worst case scenarios for EV companies kind of already happened to Aptera in the, from around 2008 to 2011, where they came up with this concept. They got a lot of hype. It was originally, it was going to be a hybrid vehicle, not a pure EV. They tried to do all this stuff and, and they kind of got caught up going after some Department of Energy loans and, and you know, there was a change in leadership and it it went away and there was just this whole unique step that led to the current CEOs regaining the intellectual property, um, you know, after like a bankruptcy and then they, they kind of came back. And so there's this weird thing where whereas as someone who follows the company where you're where you're going, man, you know, I, I hope they're able to get to production. I hope they're able to figure this out. And not because you're like, I don't know what will happen if it doesn't work out. It's like, no, no, no. You can literally look up and see what will happen to this company <laughs> if, if this doesn't work out. Um, there's, there's no doubt. Um, and there's, I think there's, there's hope among the fans that it's like, well, we hope that the leadership is they learned a lot of the lessons. And, and I think that the biggest one they took away was that the there's there's co CEOs is that they are more. Uh, focused on maintaining their control of the direction of the company as opposed to, you know, in the pursuit of funding, letting it get away from what it is that they're trying to do. But it's it's a it's a it's a unique company before you even get to the fact that it's a three wheeled vehicle that looks like a a a an airplane. Um, you know, the it's a, it's it's unique. Um, um, which goes into you know what I want to talk about, which we kind of had a conversation before this about you know you you're familiar a little bit with the vehicle, and so I'm curious about your thoughts on thoughts on the vehicle and, and looking into it, you know the the practical side of a three wheel two seater composite vehicles. Um, you know what are your thoughts on what challenges that they will likely face? Sure. Yeah, I think that's been one of my one of my main things tracking the car is like my, the space I am in life is probably uh, makes it so that I'm probably not going to be able to be a first adopter of a two wheel vehicle. Um, I have two kids. Um, anywhere I go, I basically have to have car seats in the car because I never know when I'm going to have to have two kids in it. And having a car that can only seat two max is kind of like lim- a limitation for me. 
Um, I think they do have kind of a market for those types of cars. There's plenty of city dwellers. There's plenty of um, two-wheel sports cars out there um, that could have a chunk of their ownership displaced by having this type of new vehicle on the road. So I think they have kind of have a, a self-delineated market, which you know could be could be bad because you're kind of limiting yourself, but it could also be good because you have a very clear subset of people that you're marketing to, and you kind of capitalize on that. Maybe you have a higher um, adoption rate um, than you would have if you tried to just mass market the car. Um, so they had kind of a targeted market to first kind of build off of, and maybe there's a larger version of this that could come out in the future. I, I'm sure they have a long, long, long-term plan in addition to a long-term plan and a medium term and a near term. Um, but I think getting this off the ground with an, a niche market is not necessarily the worst thing um, and seeing how it works for those folks. I think also having, you know, the three-wheel issues is going to be kind of educational um, to the market. They're going to have to educate the market. Like, here's how you get get like either a, a new license or how, how you go through the, the driver's test or whatever, just to make sure people are aware of how their state is going to treat a three-wheel vehicle as opposed to a four-wheel vehicle. Hopefully in most states at this point, it's going to be very similar to a four-wheel vehicle, but I could obviously see a couple of um, eyebrows raised at the DMV when you show up for your driver's test <laughs> um, in a floating you know, three-wheel orb to, the, to you know, have them hop in for your driver's test. I think that'd be you know, really interesting. Um, maybe you won't need one, a new driver's test, and that would be even better, you know, lower the adoption threshold. Because as we know, you, know, you add one extra click to people, <laughs> people's requirements to buy something. And you're gonna, you know, keep keep shedding users. Um, so we really want to make sure that we can kind of maximize turnover of people interested into buyers. So we can really get these types of technologies adopted. I think some of the main barriers are like that education, making people realize that this is a vehicle you can actually buy and drive on the road pretty much anywhere. It's not it's not something that you can, you know, only drive up to 35 miles an hour, or you know, has to be treated like a motorcycle all the time. You don't have to wear a helmet necessarily or something. But you know, educating people on the the car the vehicle type you know the the composite materials how safe they are you know how this actually works how you get it registered uh, what what do you even call it I think that's an additional barrier that they might face that you know say maybe Tesla or Rivian didn't face when they tried to make sedans or trucks that are they look very similar to other sedans and trucks and people are aware of them they know how it works uh, but this one oh this one has you know space to store things in the in the front you know, like that's the main difference. Um, and so I think, you know, the education is going to be big. Fortunately, I think they have probably 10, 20, 30,000 people who are really into <laughs> the technology right now. And if they can, you know, at least get a lot of um, you know, high, high percentage of those um, very interested people to adopt, give feedback, you know, be essentially like driving around as advertisements for the technology because no one's going to like miss the car when it drives by. It's it's not like a sedan that's going to drive by like a lot of the EVs when they go by like a Kia Nero or I'm not trying to drag Kia through the mud because I love their electric vehicles having owned one and everything. But those cars when a Kia Soul drives by or Kia Nero or something, you're not like, oh my gosh, look at that amazing new modern piece of technology that's super efficient um, and everybody you know should be interested in. They're like, oh, it's a, it's a car. If an Aptera drives by, you're like, holy crap, what was that? And I need to talk to the person driving it to figure out what the heck just drove by. And I think right there um, is something that's actually a pretty a pretty big benefit that I think they're going on the novelty. You know, if they can build their own kind of niche market out of novelty and then grow from there, which is not necessarily you know the worst you know, the worst pathway for them. Yeah, you've brought up a lot of really interesting points, starting with the education one. 
that I think is going to, I agree is going to be critical. The company itself has been upfront about the fact that they've been trying to work with national level legislators to ease those barriers of entry that's in terms of licensing and communicating what the requirements will be for licensing. There are, as far as I know, only a couple of states at this point, I think Massachusetts and Alaska, where you require a motorcycle license. I may be conflating that with, I believe there are also a couple of states where you require a helmet to drive in an auto cycle, which is a bit strange for, you know, you're in an enclosed space. It's otherwise no different from a vehicle. You have a steering wheel, but you know, there's, there, there are going to be, you know, when you're trying to sell something new, every little additional barrier or little bit of inertia that that I think is what adds up and that's what initially is going to it's what limits what the the market potential is for this two-seater you start with the two-seater you mentioned you know you have kids and that was something I looked at and I, was, I just thought it's like well you know yeah and anyone who has kids is for you can't get a, a car seat in the front so you're just you're just out and even if you're thinking about I'm gonna have two cars you mentioned the 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 practicality of if only one car is the one that you can have your your children in it's just you're adding just another little barrier and and all those things like they kind of add up and and um i would say fortunately at this point you know it, there does appear to be some enthusiasm they're at i think twenty one thousand pre-orders and so that the question is the question is you know what would be their the their need what is the volume that they need annually in order to be sustainable um i think the hope is that it's actually fairly low based off of their their efforts to avoid capital intensive costs they're trying to avoid high factory manufacturing costs and so that the belief is that all right well if it's not going to cost that much to make and, and we don't have to you know, amortize and deal with these massive, you know, um, you know, capital improvements, you know, in, in order to build this, that, you know, you, you don't need more than 20 to 30,000 vehicles a year. But the, the last thing I want to touch on is I think, yeah, the, the, you know, the first round of owners of the Aptera vehicle, if they're not the most satisfied group of customers in the world and prepared to explain all of those things, that that's gonna hurt uh, a lot, you know. If, if there's any kind of pain point, um, because people are looking at that, you're you're right that that three wheeled vehicle. People are ready to hate this. People are ready to dismiss it. And if everyone comes in <laughs> and and says, you know, if everything meets the hopes and dreams and goes, you, you know, like my car goes two hundred has two hundred fifty miles of range, not including the solar, and it cost me, you know, twenty five thousand nine hundred dollars before, you know, the tax credit. Um, so, you know, it's like I, I spent less than I would have spent on a Civic and like I got low maintenance costs and everything is great. If that's what happens, Aptera is sitting pretty. If instead they go, you know, I bought this and this has been the biggest pain, in, you know, in, in the rear to to own and manage. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get my driver's license. I couldn't get um, tags for it because, you know, the DMV didn't believe it was a real vehicle. I came in there and they tried to impound it. You know, every, you know, every week someone is, is trying to vandalize it in some sort of way. And, it, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. if, if that's like the experience and people are going to go like, like, I thought this was going to be great, but, you know, um, the country, the nation just didn't seem ready for it. You know, that's, 
it's you know there's there's kind of an extra round of you know you know Rivian, Rivian, I think, and Tesla. You know those are those are companies. They're just not facing the same challenges that a three wheel composite vehicle is going to in terms of of making sure that everyone is is happy and is advocating for the car as opposed to the reverse. Um, so yeah, I I I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know, it's it's me and my girlfriend. We are we are childless, and so like um, I I've currently won out on the arguments for getting this vehicle. We'll see. Oh, you know, knock on wood that, you know, um, I'll eventually win her over. Sounds like you're in a good spot. And you made a really good point about the economies of scale. If they have like simple molded composites, um, you already got your production benefits. You don't need necessarily the, the economies of scale on top of that simple manufacturing process. And, you know, the same kind of goes with their, their solar panel integration and their, their, um, you know, battery integration they're using so few batteries and so few solar cells um, to do this like even if they had twenty thousand vehicles produced per year to start that's you know with the 700 watts of um, solar power that's only the equivalent of like a what 14 megawatt solar facility that's like one small solar facility worth of batteries uh, worth of solar panels for like a whole year's worth of production same goes with the batteries if you have 40 41 megawatts 20,000 of those is like 800,000 um, kilowatt hours, 800 megawatt hours. You know, that's that's not, that's like maybe one small manufacturing center to provide your batteries. That's not, you know, that's not a significant amount um, that you really have in demand. So un- until they scale up to the 200,000 million vehicles a year, uh, you're not going to see that economies of scale really come into play. So they're probably fine, um, to, you know, where they're at. That's that's really interesting. That's something that I I wanted to get your opinion on in terms of you know you're very dialed in in terms of the current market conditions that are impacting battery storage in the U.S. and manufacturing. I think there are I I don't know if I believe this is accurate, but challenges facing battery manufacturing in the U.S. are impacted by current global supply chain issues. And I was curious about your your thoughts on Aptera. One of the things they talk about so much is our battery packs are so much smaller. That means that means that our vehicles cost less. That makes sense. And they also have stated that that's going to be easier for them from a manufacturing perspective. But you know, the question that I had uh, for you is is you know how significant is that? Just in terms of you know, it's like all right. So we're looking at I think it's going to be around a twenty three kilowatt hour battery for their smallest and. Um, the most common versions will be 23 and 41 kilowatt hours. Their 600-mile their version, I think, is, it's going to be somewhere between maybe 61 and 65 kilowatt hours. Um, I'm just That's my speculation. And the 1,000-mile um, version, um, it was originally proposed as 100 kilowatt hours, but I think it's going to be a little bit bigger than that. But yeah, my, my question is, you know, does it really matter? You know, after you're purchasing a certain amount of storage, you know, is that really going to be that advantageous for them that each vehicle requires um, a such a limited capacity? Or is it kind of more that the case of if you are requiring, I don't know, 400 megawatt hours of batteries a year, you're going to be hit just as much as everyone else. And you're going to get squeezed out by these bigger players like Ford and, and, and VW that are, are trying to scale up to these terawatt hour plants. And, and I imagine they're sucking up capacity. I guess, do you think that there is a real advantage that they're going to be able to go under the radar because they require so much less 
for their vehicles or, or does it kind of, you know, does it maybe depend on other factors? It really depends on their specific relationships. You know, we, we have seen in the battery crunch that has happened recently that um, exactly what you mentioned has happened in some cases where um, the, the people with the larger contracts, with the longer term contracts, with the more guaranteed uses of the, the batteries get the batteries. And people with like small one-off contracts or, or uncertain long-term needs for the batteries, like if they're not sure they need like 400 megawatt hours every year for the next three years, they're just getting shut down. You know, they're, they're not getting the storage. You know, there, there's a certain amount of preference being given to the larger, longer-term orders. So that is one risk for them, is that if they, if they um, have any trouble like uh, maintaining a supply of their batteries, that could be a risk. Um, you know, they have to think about that. I'm sure they're thinking about it now. To a certain extent, you might say they actually have some, some um, benefits of not being on the market right now and having manufacturing dependent on having battery cells because there is so much pain in the industry right now with supply chain issues. You can't even get batteries. Um, but then the batteries you can get are experiencing like huge cost increases because the, the material prices have gone up in some cases 50, 100% depending on the material. And that just like crushes the, the manufacturers when we had this long-term like downward trend in pricing and then all of a sudden there's this massive spike. Um, they don't like it. The people buying it um, don't like it. Um, and Aptera is kind of avoiding that because that sounds like they have enough battery on hand to do their testing, to do their module development. So they're kind of avoiding the near-term issues. The place I really see this like, coming into play is when they're trying to get certifications and they're trying to get production up and running to maybe build how many, you know, certain amount of vehicles either this year or early next year. That is going to be very difficult in this environment. Um, you have to be, you know, one of the things I was going to bring up, you have to have your batteries and the new module um, certified, which is in itself an onerous process. They, they had mentioned that they're trying to kind of redesign their own battery pack, their own module. When you do something like that, the pack and the module itself, you basically restart your certification process for safety and engineering of that, that battery pack. So that's a hurdle that they have to um, get over and it's going to be tough to do by the end of the year because um, that's such an onerous process. They have to literally do burn testing. They have to do like cycling testing and they this sounds like they're still in development phase. So that's kind of like a timing risk. But once again, not necessarily the worst thing if you can't figure it out by the end of the year because availability and pricing is not going to be good even probably by the end of this year. Um, so they kind of have this this amount of time that the world has kind of given them to like figure this out so that when things get reasonable again, um, you have your tech, you have your certifications, you have your integration systems, you know, PV to storage to charging. Um, and you can kind of just like launch at that time when you can get a long-term supply relationship. So there's a lot of considerations when you're talking about batteries. Um, but one of the things they obviously have playing in their favor is less batteries. You know, all the way back to when I was doing, you know, initiating my studies in the graduate graduate program um, back in, you know, 2012. At that time, when you're talking about EVs, the battery itself was usually like a huge portion of the vehicle weight and usually somewhere around three quarters of the of the vehicle's cost. And so that, that was just like such a huge disadvantage for EVs because like the, the actual engine system is like so expensive. As prices have come down and um, kind of watt hours per kilogram, you know, the energy density has gone up. 
um, that's played into being able to make the the batteries less you know weight in the car and also less expensive. I think at, at current pricing, the even the smaller battery packs for for the Aptera vehicle, they're still going to be like fifty percent of the whole vehicle cost. And so that kind of points back to their like streamlined engineering. Like if you're trying to sell a relatively inexpensive vehicle, but you know that battery pack cost is a fixed cost. It's like ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars even for the smallest pack. Um, and you want to sell something for twenty five, that does not leave a lot of room for everything else in the car and a profit. And so that's that's going to be something that is kind of the, one of the biggest things they're going to have to you know solve is long term making sure you can make all those numbers pencil. Um, I, I remember, you know, Tesla's forecast of battery price reductions and long-term EV um, price trends coming way down and way, you know, be way cheaper and they can still make a profit. And that just has not materialized um, to a certain extent. It's because they're giving us way more than they told us they would be giving us in terms of range and services. And that's helped keep the EV prices higher. Um, but still, like, there's very few, very inexpensive EVs out there, and that's really just down to like the cost and weight of lithium-ion batteries. There, it's excellent for energy density. It's still heavy. <laughs> that's just it's just a fact. Um, we've we've had energy densities you know double since I was writing my policy papers on you know the advanced lithium-ion batteries back in like the early twenty teens. Um, but still, you know, they're they're still heavy even today. Yeah, you you brought up a lot of. A lot of really good points. I think some areas where, from the Aptera perspective, they're hoping that it works out in their favor, and you know, provided that they've got the capacity to to get through testing. You know, what they've been saying. You brought up a really interesting point in terms of module and battery pack certification. It's I'll say this for their their originally their their stated timeline. I think they said when I first started following them. They were hoping to get into production maybe at the end of 2021, and then that got pushed to 2022. And what I've seen the the maybe the most recent change in terms of their anticipated production timeline is to state not just by the end of 2022, but they added the few words of limited production by the end of 2022. And I think that gives them the kind of wiggle room to do what you're saying, which is if they have this small number of batteries, like I think I think Rivian did this last year. I want to say in their first month, maybe they sold 30 vehicles. I'm I'm making that up. I could look this up. But it, it was a very it's a very small number. And it would allow them to to meet that goal of actual production. But I think your to your point of yeah, in order to get to get through all the testing, these and this is this goes beyond the. I mean, the focus here that we're of this conversation is on batteries, but I I agree. I mean, I think it's going to be very challenging for them to get through a range of of certifications. Um, I was curious about if there were you. So you brought up that process of them making their own batteries. I was curious if there were in that video that Eptera shared about a week ago of their their. Uh, Giving, sharing some details on their on their battery pack, their Samsung twenty one seventy cells. I was curious if there's anything else that jumped out at you in terms of you know what they were talking about in terms of efficiency and and design and you know some of the claims that they made as as in the pack. If there's anything else that jumped out at you, I think the main thing for me was uh, kind of two things. A, 
ambitious to try to make your know, your own module. They're starting with good cells. I think they're those are some of the most tested, most used cells in the world. Like there, there's a very good integration with those cells. I think though that's a, a really good decision to to use you know those types of cells. But even when you're talking about integrating them in your own way, it makes sense because they're such a unique vehicle, um, unique integration challenges. So let's do it ourselves. There's nobody that knows the vehicle and what the vehicle needs in terms of placement, the type, you know, the size, shape, all that type of stuff of the battery pack. Nobody knows that better than the engineers designed the car. So it, to a certain extent, it kind of makes sense how, how they're doing it. Um, but that is difficult. You know, they're starting... Um, you know, from, from scratch, basically trying to create a model, a module that integrates into their vehicle. So that's, that's ambitious. Um, but once again, you're starting with the fundamental components, the cells themselves, um, coming from a, a good place. You know, they're, they're starting with well-known cells. So I think they're, they're building it up. You know, they're doing it the safest way you could do it. Um, but it's, it's still an ambitious challenge. Um, fortunately, I think two or three different companies have done this where they've tried to manufacture modules specific to their own uh, vehicle. You know, it's just something, it's so essential. The, the, the placement for the weight, placement for the efficiency is just, it's so essential. So I think it, it's, to a certain extent, it probably does make sense for them with such a unique vehicle to try to, you know, engineer a module themselves. Um, but the second thing, you know, is their efficiency. That is absolutely mind-blowing. You know, ha- having, having owned um, the, the Kia Soul, the Tesla, you know, you're constantly looking at range numbers. You know the battery pack that's in your cars. Um, on a good day, like a spring day at 65 degrees, no heating or cooling, you keep the windows up, um, you know, you're using high regen braking. I was getting like four, you know, miles per kilowatt hour, maybe a little bit more. And they're, they're claiming like 10. That is absolutely mind blowing. You know, during normal driving, most cars now are getting like two and a half, three because they're building up size and safety and, you know, entertainment and other energy uses within the vehicle like you can hardly buy an ev where the front seats aren't heated there's not a giant like led display and like 10 computers running simultaneously and most people want to gun it because they love being able to feel that acceleration and most people are freaked out by like high regen braking so they're not using evs as efficiently as you could like i was a hyper miler which is apparently a word that i found out like after I had been driving kind of like a, a energy efficiency maniac, um, I, I was definitely a hypermiler in my Kia Soul and, and the, the Model S. So I was the one who was driving like 65 and a half on the throughway in the winter, like with no heat on in the car, just my heated seat, like wearing a jacket and a hat, trying to like maximize range, um, in the winter because the battery pack is already like half as efficient when you're driving in the winter. Um, so when you start saying things like, instead of two or three miles per kilowatt hour, we're going to give you 10. And while we're giving you 10, we're also going to give you tons of free miles because we have solar integration. It remains to be seen how that's actually going to work. I know a lot of people who have tried to integrate bidirectional simultaneous use cases have run into certain challenges where um, it, it's debatable whether they're going to like charge while you're driving or if it's just while you're parked i think that's probably safer (laughs) like let's have either charging or discharging you like save half or even two-thirds of the components you need for for safety to you don't want to be charging the battery necessarily while you're also discharging it um and so i think that's something that they can think about but when you're, you're telling me like the efficiency is off the charts 
and we're going to give you free miles. Like for me, I'm, I'm thinking that is amazing. You know, you're going to, I'm basically buying my own charging too. You're like, you're, I'm taking charging off, off the menu and the range is, is way up there. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit interested about, you know, whether they're going to test this in upstate New York when we do have like what seems to be 11 and a half months of winter and then like half a month of like Qatari desert. Um, and so I'm just trying to like figure out how they're going to integrate efficiency in multi-environments because you like pack heating and cooling, um, you know, making sure the cabin is comfortable. I think that's something that comes a little bit later on in, in the, the design, but um, if they can even get, you know, two thirds of those efficiency numbers, that's going to be amazing for people who are driving that car. It's going to be, feel like a dream <laughs> to drive something that efficient and minimize charging, minimize range anxiety, um, all that, all that good stuff, which also minimizes cost and weight of the car once again. Um, it's like kind of this positive feedback loop. Um, super efficient, lightweight car means less batteries, which makes it lighter, which makes it more efficient. Um, and so you're just like, you're getting all these compound benefits, which then, as, as I said in a couple of their, their announcements and their videos, like once you do that, all of a sudden, solar actually makes sense because it doesn't give you a ton of energy. But if you can get one, two, three kilowatt hours in a day, but you're getting 10 miles per kilowatt hour, that's, that's a commute. Like I trickle charged the whole commute and I never even plugged it in. You know, they're, they're making some pretty amazing advances, um, with the way they're doing it. So I think, you know, the, the combination, like if they can pull this off is, is a pretty tremendous, you know, advancement in, in vehicles. Yeah. I would say you know, there are, there are many hopes that I have for the company. There is one, you know, I, I hope to be driving my own Aptera someday, but I think the biggest reason why I hope that they're successful in this two seater vehicle which I believe internally they refer to as a roadster, is that they've provided a little teaser of a roadmap for the future of a four-door version that would have a rear row of seats. It, it wouldn't look like your traditional sedan because their goal is to incorporate the composite lightweight materials, ultra aerodynamic, and so that's that's going to change how it'll look. It will, the, you know, the you know part of the reason, um, you know, this is you'd have to go deep into the weeds to have learned this. But part of the reason why, or the main reason why this version is three wheels is because they want this to be their halo vehicle. This is their maximum level effort of efficiency of, of like, what is the maximum level? And I believe implied in that is that subsequent vehicles in their roadmap would be slightly less efficient. So if they did a sedan, it's gonna be less efficient because it's gonna have four wheels, which means there's gonna be more rolling resistance there's also a utility vehicle planned and you know potentially they might do something with a larger utility you know so, sort of like in the in a semi truck but it's you know i hope that i'm able to drive my aptera because if they're able to prove this out and be successful if they can provide a vehicle that someone like you who needs a back seat can can have you know all of those those advantages that you mentioned in terms of efficiency those those are you know, those are advantageous to everyone. You know, everyone, you know, if you tell them, you know, would you like to pay less for a vehicle to get more performance out of it? You know, you know, there, there's obviously there's aesthetics that goes into it. But if you if you frame it like that, then, you know, who isn't going to going to want to go for that? But it's, you know, there 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 are issues with the I don't, issues makes it sound negative because they're they're conscious design decisions with going with a two seater. 
but there are barriers that are, are preventing more people. But I think there, there are a lot of people that just kind of have their eye on it of going like, oh, um, you know, things that you mentioned, you know, the, you know, the, the, the efficiency of their, of their, their battery pack. And um, ultimately, we're, there has not been independent verification and validation of this. That's another huge step that will, that will come down, um, down the line. Um, you know, that you, you made interesting points in, in terms of like their cells that it's like, uh, you know, that that's heavily tested, but yeah, you know, we're, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm curious once they finally get to EPA testing, you know, if they're able to finally, you know, put that stamp and say like, yes, you know, this vehicle gets 250 miles and our maximum range version is going to get one, 1000. Cause like that, that'll do all the marketing it, in my opinion for it. Um, you know, you, we were talking before you were talking about your, you know, model S, um, at like 270 and like the desire, you know, I think model three at, at 360, you know, when you saw those range numbers, you know, 400, 400 miles, $30,000 for that version. And I think 35,000 for the 600 mile, like what, what was your thought when you, when you, um, did you look into like the kind of math at, at all in that? Is, is, is like this is this is clearly garbage. They've clearly just made this made this up. And and then what was your your reaction? You looked at it a little more. Yeah, coming coming from like the the storage space, um, knowing like back of like back like the back of my hand the the storage cost declines. You know the integration cost, all those types of things. The first thing I always do is like, what was the kilowatt hours? Like how how many. How many batteries are you using? Well, let's do like full integration cost, maybe $300 a kilowatt hour for the cells, the modules, and the integration just of the batteries. And so if you do like $300 per kilowatt hour times 41 kilowatts, that's like 12000 a little over $12,000 is just the physical battery. You've done nothing. You have no profit. You don't have a car. You have a battery module with some wires sticking out. And so, so then you need to buy solar panels, build a car, have a drivetrain, have the wheel, like uh, the motors and everything like that. And you have to build an entire car. And then you have to market it and sell it and deliver it and maintain it. And hopefully like make at least one cent. So there has to be, you know, some, you know, like it can't be a, like a company without trying to actually make money on something. I don't think they're a nonprofit. Um, and so I think they're probably going to try also have a markup. And so when you do that, it's like they must be able to create and integrate this whole car for almost no money, like no money at all. Um, I know having, having dug into ICE vehicles in the past and the ridiculous markup, it costs them hardly anything to build those cars, um, but they still sell them for twenty five or $30,000. They're making like 50, 60, 70%. Um, on each sale evs it's way way thinner um but even still even with thin profits when you have like 12 13 15 thousand dollars worth of battery cells just sitting there and then building a car on that this is why we don't have a thirty five thousand dollar model model uh three from tesla because they're like eh, you know we can't make three dollars by selling something for thirty five thousand we need to make at least like x percent profit and it's actually way more expensive to integrate batteries into a full EV. And we want to provide all these fancy services. We want it to be eye-catching, design, wheel, all this type of stuff. And all of a sudden, the range is down, the cost is up, and you're like, oh, okay, 
well, and it's happened with every single car, every single EV that's that's come out. It's like, oh, well, the range is a little bit less than you would hope. The cost is a little bit higher than you would hope. And it's all because it's just really hard and expensive uh, to do this because we're still so, so new. You know, the, the entire sales of EVs and like the history of the world is like one year of gas sales in America. You know, like that's the, the amount of learning that still has to come is huge. Which is also a positive, you know, we're, we're still coming down the curve, so we know it's going to get significantly better. Um, it doesn't help that when you're halfway down the curve, you hit, like, a massive amount of barriers simultaneously, like COVID and supply chain and material costs and wars. And you're like, oh, wow, apparently all of that can happen at the same time. You know, you, you plan for some risks, um, and you plan for force majeure, and you plan for international issues, but you don't plan for all of it happening simultaneously. Um, and so this has been a huge bump in the road, but I think like long term, um, maybe those, those cost numbers are reasonable, but I would not be surprised at all if like $25,000, um, car turns into a $32,000 car, um, because of such and such a reason. Um, and, and maybe they can keep that number and they'll just hold that number as long as they can, maybe for a year or two and then produce the cars when it's maybe cheaper or something, and then they can say they sold it for that price. But th- there's no way, like in my head, they're pulling off like 30 or 40 kilowatt hour battery electric vehicle for $25,000 this year. It's just like, that was very low probability to me and maybe maybe long term, but it'd be very difficult this year because of the cost increases. That was what I was going to ask you was, you know, this is something that there's been a lot of speculation it's something that I've thought about as I've seen other companies, much larger, more established traditional automakers run into problems. Ford is planning on on releasing. And in fact, I, I need to look this up, but Ford revealed their their F-150 Lightning pickup truck, and I'm not quite sure there's a launch date on that. They, they've certainly been taking reservations, but they kind of became suddenly very evasive on that. And I think this is related to you know the 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 cost um challenge right. and and that's that's ford um and so it, it's something that's that, that's they can build their own factories and they're still having yeah right and and so that's one of the things that has got me kind of i think it's 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 gotten everyone who's interested in aptera everyone who's reserved a vehicle has been kind of i don't want to say unease is the right word but when they first revealed it and they said what their their prices were. There was this kind of thought of of no way that that's 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 too low. Right. Um, but then you know they went through and they explained and they're like, well, you know, we're able to do this because we're avoiding. You know, we don't have these large capital costs, and so it's not going to cost as much. Um, you know, their goal is to have everything be human positionable, and so they're not going to have like this massive you know machines in, in their factory. And you know, say all this stuff, but yeah, I looked at it and I and I went and clicked, you know, reserve. All right, like like fine. <laughs> yeah. um, but then you know, you know, I think you know Rivian dealt with this recently, where they're like, just kidding, you know, we've got all our like Amazon billions and like Ford investment, but like JK, and then they had to walk that back, and there's all these problems. Um, oh, I have my own Rivian stories also. I'm not sure if that's for this time, but yeah, I have some Rivian stories. Yeah, there. Well, I, I am, I'm actually curious. We, we can, we can jump into that. But yeah, it's. I'm sitting there, and, and I think that, I, I, you know, I'm sympathetic to later owners or potential owners of Aptera vehicles on a price increase. Um, at minimum, I really hope that they're able to maintain the price for everyone who is reserved 
the vehicle because but yeah i i looked at that just from you know 400 miles of range for you know thirty thousand dollars i just looked at that and I'm, I'm just like at what point when am i gonna get that email you know when are you when are you gonna say when are you gonna come through my like well, well right. you know we tried we really 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 tried and and then we wanted the lights to stay on and so right right and then we realized we had to pay people to actually make the car <laughs> oh we had to actually buy the materials <laughs> yeah it was i think it and it's and this is kind of a i don't know chicken the egg but i think this is kind of a challenge that they they had i think they they're you know they're one of their co-ceos he you know chris anthony he's spoken fairly candidly about this that they anticipated much slower uptake of their vehicle and he had this um prior to aptera one of his companies was a speedboat company that i think used composite materials and they had and basically figured out you know what the minimum volume and it was fairly small you know a few thousand a year and i think their thought was like all right you know we're gonna make a few thousand so it's like yeah we, we can charge this amount because they're just just gonna buy just enough parts and components to basically make this on their own in a small very small factory um, mostly U.S. fine, and I think you know at some point you know between you know um, you know uh, ten thousand pre-orders and like twenty-one thousand where they're at, where they started thinking about going public and and figuring that out is when you know when you start having to get more parts for that. I think that's when they've they've likely ran into the like we can't just go under the radar, and that was before you know when they launched. You know, COVID had wasn't a thing. And, um, you know, global supply chain issues weren't a thing. Thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast and for, for sharing your expertise. I will, I will be sure to keep you updated as, as the company gets closer to production. And as I hopefully learn more about, you know, when mine will actually be, be delivered, you know, that there's a lot that needs to happen. And, you know, um, you know, thanks for, thanks for joining. Always my pleasure. Thank you. And that concludes episode 62 of the Apt EVs podcast. Um, if you enjoyed the conversation and the episode, please tell a friend so that we can continue to grow the Aptera movement. If you really enjoyed it, you can use my referral link, which I include in the show notes for $30 off your $100 refundable deposit. And if you are a Tottenham fan, then please make sure that you high five your closest friends, relatives, and young ones. The Apt EVs podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, who host the, the podcast. If you have any questions or feedback, including corrections, you can send those in to aptevspodcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at apt underscore EVs podcast. You can also send audio messages through the podcasting website. Thank you to OS50 for the song Movies, and in the words of Jeff Kanata, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. 